14, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Once again, happy August. Um, if you are just joining us, or if maybe if you've been off on, on vacation or whatnot, um, just a quick update as far as where we are in our summer sermon series, the first Christians. As you remember, all the way back in May, we began to look at the life of Jesus after he rose from the dead on Easter. And then we looked at his ascension into heaven, then the sending of the Holy Spirit to empower God's church. And so we've been looking at uh, since uh, the, the beginning of, of the summer, what was it like for the first Christians, the earliest church, as they began to take this incredible, almost unbelievable message that God has not only sent his son to die for our sins, which is beautiful, but actually rose him from the dead. And he now sits in heaven at the right hand of God, reigning over things. And he's commissioned this church to take this message out to the whole world. And in doing so, he created a community called the church as a vehicle, not just to proclaim the gospel, but also for us to begin to experience, even in small measure, the blessings of what it means to live under God's rule. And as we've walked through this story, we've, we've followed uh, what a 20th century uh, theologian John Stott called uh, this pattern of, of attack. Now, for all the good news that's happening, what we see from Acts is the moment that the Christian church begins to stand out and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. He died for the sins of the whole world and he rose again. And by trusting in him, you can share in the life that he brings the church was immediately under attack. And so we've seen this pattern first of the church being under attack from outside. Both political and religious leaders saw this message as dangerous. And so they persecuted first by just putting, putting them, them on trial, then by beating them. The same men who killed Jesus began to persecute the church. There was this attack from the outside, but it wasn't just that. We also heard of this attack from the inside. People who claim to, to be Christians, but through their own heretical teachings, their own misunderstandings about who Jesus is, but also their deception of the community. There was this attack from the inside. 
But what we see in each one of those instances is despite what Satan and the sinful human heart has thrown at the church, has thrown at God's institution, it could not be to be destroyed. But now there's a more subtle danger, a more subtle attack. And as we'll see, it doesn't destroy the church. But it's so subtle because it's the, the attack of distraction. It's the attack of wanting to be so focused on the daily community of the church, focusing solely on good things, just the interior life of the church, that it would distract the church from one of its ultimate purposes, which is to, to proclaim the, the good news. And so what we have as we dive into our story is this really intimate view of the early church. And you see, as we have this, this church has grown and the gospel's not been taunted, but there's this community that's sort of risen up. Now, it's mainly Jewish people. Yes, right? They are Jewish people. But there's some of the Hellenists. That's just the, the, the Greek word for, well, Greeks. And they've grown up in, in the Greek-speaking world, and they're in Jerusalem, and they're hearing this gospel. The church is primarily led by um, Aramaic or, or a Hebrew-speaking uh, Jews. But, and, and there becomes this conflict. And they're beginning to believe, these Hellenist Jews are, are beginning to, to believe that their widows aren't being taken care of. Now, some context is key here. Uh, one of the beautiful things that, that the church of God does is it takes care of its people. Now, this isn't a brand new thing. The Jewish synagogue has been doing this for, a, for a centuries, but it takes an extra twist, if you will, more of a grace-based twist in that as opposed to taking care of widows because you have to. This Christian church is taking care of widows because they want to, because they are beloved sisters and mothers in Christ. Now, of course, this widows just doesn't mean unmarried women, right? There was no social security net. There was no uh, a government to take care of people and, and support them. There were no retirement accounts. All of that was taken care of by your family. And if you didn't have a family, you were destitute. So here's this church that moves in and takes care of the most vulnerable in that society. And when I was reading through this passage, I was so focused on our, all right, Lord, what, what message do you have for us? What instruction, where do we see ourselves walking in this pattern of taking care of the widows, but still pro proclaiming the gospel? I've missed out on a beautiful thing. I'm going to get to that in, in a few minutes about the danger of being distracted from our mission, how that can be an attack, which is the most subtle. But before we even get there, before we get to that warning, I just want to take a moment and step back as the Holy Spirit showed me earlier this week. What an amazing, gracious God we have. That he would send us this institution full of really fallen, broken people led by really fallen, broken people yet seems to stand the test of time over and over and over again to take care of the most vulnerable in his world. There is no other institution in the world that's like 
the, the church, think about this. We're blessed to live in a Western society that's financially rich, that is politically so sophisticated. Believe it or not, we are politically sophisticated. It may not seem like that right now, okay? But we do have this incredible government which does have a heart for those in need. And yes, the Lord is working through that. And yes, that's part of the Lord's way that he's taking care of widows and orphans and those in need, right? That's not against God. God's working through that. But yet that government institution can only take care of the body. It can't take care of the soul. It can't proclaim good news to, to those who feel like God could never love them. God could never forgive them. Likewise, there are plenty of institutions out there which seem to promise health for, for the soul. Now, of course, we believe that the only thing that's good for us is the gospel of, of Christ. But yet what you have is this belief that the physical doesn't matter. You see this a lot in sort of this culture that we have in our area, a lot of spirituality um, that does sort of involve the body. But for the most part, what you do with your body doesn't matter. Let's give you soul care. Let's give you better, more positive thoughts to a focus on. If you're in a bad place, then you can drag yourself out of it just by thinking the right thoughts. So their way of caring for you is just by caring for your soul. But there's no welcome into a community. There's no, uh, there's a focus on the individual that if I equip you, then you can make something of your own life. That's what sort of our, um, our, our culture, especially in Mount Pleasant, tells us. But there's no welcoming in. There's no place to come and be taken care of and loved by others. And so before we dive into what the Lord has for us as he warns us about this, this attack of subtlety, what I don't ever want to, us to to lose is this amazing gift, which the church is. And when I say the church, of course, I mean the worldwide church, but I mean St. Thomas's church as well. I am, I never cease to be amazed by how, and, and we should be encouraged by this, not because we're good people, but because the spirit of the Lord is working here. And he's taking us sinners, especially me, and, and doing miraculous healing things. I never cease to be amazed by your generosity of time and energy and money to, yes, proclaim the gospel to the world, but also to create a place where people are loved for and cared for when they're at their most vulnerable. One of the greatest compliments that I've heard about you and that, that, that I would agree with is that this is a place where you can come and be broken and be honest. And come and be healed. Come and be loved. Regardless of what you think about God. We've got some thoughts about God. Which we'd like to share with you. But regardless of where you are. Our love. Uh, what I've heard about you. Is that your love for, for them. Is not based upon if they agree with you. It's, it's, it's just because they are. So we're caring for the widows and the orphans of our day. Can we do better? We can always do better. We should never cease to pray how we can love people more. But I just, as I was walking through this sermon preparation, I just felt an incredible sense to praise God for what he's doing through you and through this church. So let us not 
forget the graciousness of God to create such a church. But at the same time, I think um, one of the greatest blessings of St. Thomas's church, which I think was similar to what was happening in the early church here, can also be one of our greatest dangers. We're a group of people that really loves each other. We're a group of pe people where wounded and broken people come and the need is so deep and so wide. And we love each other. We care about each other. We enjoy each other. And so the tendency is, is to begin to forget our original calling. The tendency is, is to face the same danger that this early church is facing right now. That a good thing, the needs of our membership are beginning to take precedence over how the church organizes its life. We have it right here. The the, a, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because the widows, their, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. They would um, take what, some, some funds, they collect some funds and then distribute to them to those who had need in their church. That's, that's a good thing. But, but in the brilliance of what the church does here is they don't make a fatal mistake. What they don't do is say, you know what, you're right. We need to stop what we're doing, and we need to focus on our people. Uh, bishop Mark Lawrence, who's the bishop of, of, of another diocese here in South Carolina, a wonderful man, um, he told me a story one time of one of his earliest churches where he pastored. He was a young man, very bright, very vibrant, and he was seeking advice from kind of the old patriarchs of the community. And this, and this elder gentleman that grew up in this church said, Mark, don't forget, the church exists for the care of, the, of its oldest members. <laughs> now, I understand that, right? He grew up in a time in the early 20th century, mid 20th century, where there wasn't seemingly a lot of evangelism. And so, so, so the church was this comfortable place and the church should care for, for, for its members. But you see, the first great danger is to think that the church exists primarily, exclusively for us. But then there's a second great danger, which the church didn't fall into, which is to say, nope. We love you, but you are tools of God in a broken world. Get over yourselves. It's not about you. Go out into the world. Give your money. Give your time. Share the gospel build bridges, build churches, go out there and go, 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 and do, do, do. Because if you are hurting at all, it's because you have failed to believe in the promises of the gospel. If you're weak at all, it's, it's because you don't understand how much God loves you. Just try harder, forget about yourself, and serve more. Church is not about us, it's about the world. Now, again, as we'll see, yes, absolutely, we are called to a mission to proclaim the gospel, to be part of God's kingdom as he establishes it on the earth in word and deed. But part of that is we love each other and we support each other. Because you see, it's so much easier, especially from my standpoint, to pick one of the two, isn't it? Less administration, less worry, less overhead, less complication. But you see, we're called, and what this church does so brilliantly, 
is they say, no, it's not that simple. We're not going to totally take care of our internal needs, nor are we going to totally turn our back on them. But we're going to ask the deeper question of who does what. And so listen to what the 12 disciples said. Is it not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve at tables? Now what they're, well, let me finish and then I'll explain them. They're not jerks, I promise. Um, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, did 12 disciples hate old people? No. Do the, do the 12 d- disciples think that they're too good for serving at tables? Of course not. These are the men who had their feet washed by, by Jesus Christ and said, go and do likewise. These men were absolutely servants. They weren't above this. This kind of work wasn't below them. But what they are saying is that some people are called to certain ministries. And the 12 were called to a very specific ministry of proclaiming the word, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ died, raised, sitting at the right hand of God, and everyone can be made right with God simply by trusting in his promises of salvation. They need to devote themselves to that message, the preaching of that message inside the church and outside the church, and they need to devote themselves to deep prayer. Prayer for the church, prayer for the people in the church, but also prayer for the world. And so let us put into place amazing people with full of the Holy Spirit. Mean that they're full of love and they're full of wisdom. They know how to care for others. And as and as uh, and as and as Kristen read with incredible accuracy, I always forget that I don't know how to say, say those names, much less all of you. So well done, Kristen. Um, but these are common people. These weren't part of the disciples. These were Greeks. These were people that weren't there face to face with Christ while he was on earth. They have come to a Jerusalem since then. They're not theologically trained, but they love each other. And they're loving not just the Greek widows. They're loving all the widows. They're full of wisdom. They know who needs what and what kind of care. And again, while, uh, while it's always challenging to us as a church to, um, to always realize that each one of us has have different roles, especially those of us that are ordained, right? That I, I, I do all of this, right? But my primary calling is to proclaim the word and to pray. And while we can always grow in that, while the Lord is always pulling our hearts to, to, to serve each other more deeply, we do that through life groups and shepherds and discipling each other and taking care of each other. Again, there is story after story after story in this church of you literally living this out. Is it because I'm a great pastor and I've trained you up? Well, of course not. The church survives not through its clergy, but despite its clergy. Okay, Uh, one of my favorite stories is uh, uh, when um, Napoleon wanted to make himself emperor. And 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 the pope was was there and he says, Pope, I'm going to destroy the Catholic Church. And the pope just laughed and said, the priests have been trying to do that for 2000 years. You're not going to, and, and if they couldn't do it, you can't do it. 
But I want us to always be encouraged. Always be encouraged. Yes, challenge, but always be encouraged that when that, that what I felt when I read over this would wash over me was, Lord Jesus, I praise you by your Holy Spirit, what you're doing through these people in this church. They are caring for each other and they're caring for the world. And that's where I want to end. Verse seven. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples, which just means Christians, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. That's great news. As, as, the, as the church loved each other and loved the world simultaneously, not choosing one over the other, the church began to grow. And most miraculously, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Why is that there? Well, my argument is the reason why that's there is the priests were, of course, uh, part of the theological elite. They knew the scriptures were supposedly backwards and forwards. They were well acquainted with the sacrificial sin, with the sacrificial system, and so they were educated and bright and skeptical. They asked really good questions, but because the the whole ministry of the church. Not just the apostles doing all the work, but the whole ministry of the church. It freed the, the apostles to go in more deeply with these educated skeptics and engage with them on their own terms and look them in the eye and honestly and lovingly answer their questions, but answer them accurately. And that is because these 12 apostles had an entire church serving each other and serving them, which freed them up to do this work. I end with this. I say this all the time, and it's, and it's a half joke, but it's absolutely true. I've tricked you all into paying me to study the Word of God. It's a great trick. I highly encourage you if you're so-called. But I can tell you story after story after story of because of your sacrifice, your time, your love, your energy, me and other clergy, other leaders of this church have been free to engage with good questions, not grumpy skeptics, no, healthy skeptics who are saying, no, listen, I want to believe, help me believe. And it's through that care, that one-on-one -on -one care that I've been trained to do, that I've been free to do, that we've seen the priests of this world come to faith. So, Praise God for this church. Praise God that he is actively making this a reality here by the power of his Holy Spirit. I'm in awe in each and every one of you. I'm grateful for you. Praise God that he is protecting us from the subtle attack of Satan, the subtle attack of our hearts, which allows us to focus on one good thing to the exclusion of all the good things that the, that the church is called to do. And through us sinners, we are watching the word of God increase in Mount Pleasant and around the world. And this is good news for us sinners and we. Amen.